Please be seated, and as you get comfortable, let me make two quick announcements that I failed to to get in. Um, These are reminders to our youth and our families. Uh, This Friday night, February the 9th, is the Youth Bowling Night, and Ben Meredith and Scott Pierce will be chaperoning that event. If you are interested in attending, it would be helpful if you would communicate with us. Uh, We'll go over that at youth group tonight. So um, be aware of that. And then also, I want everyone to know that on February the 24th, which is a Saturday, our youth are having a service day. That is a work day. And if you are a teenager, if you're a retiree in our church, and if you have any little small project that you would like for youth to do, raking of leaves, trimming of hedges, changing of light bulbs, or even just to sit down and visit, for you to give them a piece of your mind. Um, That counts as well. So if you'll just let us know. We are putting together our work projects. Our youth are hooking arms with our deacons in this effort, and we look forward to this on Saturday, February 24. Now here's the hard part. The workday portion is from 9 a.m. to 12 noon. And already some of you are like, I don't want people coming over to my house at 9 a.m. on Saturday. That's fine. Maybe they could come at 11 and help just for a little bit. But just let us know. We want to encourage uh, these folks all knowing each other and our youth having a service opportunity. Okay, with that said, this morning we begin a new sermon series. Um, I believe we will be in the book of 1 Peter from February through June. As I look at the calendar, that's how it looks like it's, it's going to play out. And so this morning, we're going to be introduced to Peter and to his letter, his epistle, to those whom he would speak the word and the will of God. So we begin 1 Peter this morning, and there are only two verses, and by the time that I'm done, you'll be like, well, he could have said a whole lot more. And so next week we're going to revisit some of this passage because you're going to see you have questions about what Peter is saying and what he is meaning. But for the sake of introducing the things I need to introduce, I can only say so much. So give your attention to 1 Peter chapters, chapter 1, verses just 1 and 2. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Let's pray that God would help us understand His Word. Lord, this morning we pray, as we always do, that You would be our teacher. And so, Lord, as we turn our attention to this letter of Peter which is really a letter from you, we pray for a right understanding, a right application, that you would stir our hearts in faith, 
that you would comfort us and assure us as we live the lives you've called us to live, where you've called us to live them. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're approaching Valentine's Day. That's a reminder to you men, February the 14th. And um, as, as I began looking at 1 Peter, something of a Valentine stood out to me and memories of a child, of being a child. You know, you get that Valentine card or that Valentine box of candy or whatever, and it has a, a, a from and a to to fill out, right? From Paul to Marie, right? Um, And that's just how we communicate. We want to make sure that we identify, okay, this is from me and this is to such and such. And that's exactly how this epistle, this letter of Peter begins. This is just human communication. This is true in every culture. Uh, We want to be clear. We want to communicate well. And here, Peter is communicating who this letter is from and who this letter is to. And so just a few comments as we get into the author and the context and the circumstances of his writing. But in the way of introduction, this is Peter. Perhaps you're familiar with Peter. Peter is one of the disciples. He is one of the twelve Not only was he one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, you remember he was part of the inner three. Peter, James, and John had more close-knit time with Jesus than the others. Now that's an interesting thing to consider, by the way, because it is just true, even from Jesus' ministry, that there will be circles within circles, time spent, conversations had. It's true in Jesus' ministry. It's true in human relationships. It's not wrong. It would be wrong for the other disciples to be jealous or angry with Peter, James, and John, but they were referred to as the inner three, those who were especially close to Jesus. And Peter was one of those. So as we get into the content of his chapters, the chapters we have of his letter, I want you to think about that. This is someone who was very close in proximity to Jesus. He was a hearer of Jesus' sermons. He had heard the parables taught firsthand. He was an eyewitness to miracles. He was an eyewitness to the transfiguration. He was an eyewitness to the crucifixion. He was an eyewitness to the resurrection and to Jesus' ascension into heaven. That's who this is. This is someone very close to Jesus. He was one of the disciples. Not only was he a disciple, though, he is one of few who was designated as an apostle, which means he had post-resurrection encounters with Jesus. And Peter is the one, you may recall, of which Jesus says his profession, what he said about Jesus, was the rock, the foundation of the church's future. When he declared Jesus as Lord and as the living Lord, Jesus said, on this rock, Peter the one who spoke it, the profession equally the rock, 
on this rock I will build my church. And so Peter's a significant figure for those reasons, a disciple and an apostle. But I want to mention and I want to say more at the end of the sermon how Peter was also a very ordinary man. It's a very ordinary man that I think you and I will find that we probably have a lot in common with him. You could contrast him with the Apostle Paul and Paul's letter to the Romans and Paul who is overwhelming as a scholar, a man of deep, profound thought and explanation that baffles our thinking. And Peter even seems to suggest that he is baffled by some of Paul's teaching. In this way, Peter's just an ordinary guy that we can resonate with, a fisherman. And of Peter and the way that his mind worked as a simple, ordinary guy, Ed Clowney says this of his letter. First Peter is the most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith and of the conduct that it inspires. Which is to say, Peter will just kind of give you the bottom line. He will give you summaries, conclusions. He will say in five chapters what other authors would take much more time to say. So in that way, maybe we appreciate Peter already. It will take me 22 weeks to cover what he says. Aren't we glad he's condensed and, and short? So that is an introduction to Peter. Peter the man... More on him at the end of the sermon. But he was a disciple, he was an apostle, and he was an ordinary Joe. And there's something we'll see that's very comforting about that. Now, about his audience, the recipients of this letter. We understand these to be Gentile and Jewish converts to Christianity. These were people who were outside of the faith, Gentiles and Jews who came to identify Jesus as the Messiah, the one who had died for the sins of the people and had been raised to life again. The date of the letter is in the 60s, probably the early 60s. So just a few decades after the earthly ministry of Jesus. Peter is now a an aging man, and he is writing, reflecting on these decades of his experience with the church. And much of that experience you'll hear will have to do with suffering. So for decades, he has known the church, and he has known the church to be called to suffer, which is a highlight of his letter. Now the region that is mentioned there, you hear all those mentions of regions um, that is Asia Minor, or for us, what is modern-day Turkey. So that, you can go maybe look at maps over lunchtime and identify the locations and the dates and, and some of these characters. But for those of you who care about such context, which should be all of us, but some more than others, that's the context of when and where and what is going on. Now, into, the, into the, some of the nitty-gritty of what he says in these two opening verses. He says that he is writing to elect exiles. And that is very purposeful language. Elect exiles. That language of being in exile is not new language, and that's not new concept. That's Old Testament language. 
The Jews had been exiled. They knew what it was to be strangers in a strange land. And that is exactly what they are. They are strangers living in a strange land. Or I'll put it this way. He is writing to a people that are very much not at home. They are not at home. Now think for yourself, when you went away from home for the first time, maybe off to school, maybe off in the military, maybe off to work, and you maybe have memories of, yeah, I have felt like a stranger in a strange land far from home. And that is the very context that these people were living in. That is how they felt, and Peter knows it. Peter uses the language of their having been dispersed, or your translation may be scattered. And that too is very intentional language. These people feel like, because they have been, dispersed and scattered from their homes. And so the question to ask is, well, dispersed and scattered by whom? Who dispersed them? Who scattered them? And I think there are two good answers to that question. The first is actually in Acts 18, verse 2. I want you to listen to this. uh, Verses 1 through 6. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia... Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it, and from now on I'm going to the Gentiles." Okay, we are given some real gems here in understanding some significant things. We are given the name of one who dispersed the people with his earthly rule. And that was Claudius, Emperor Claudius, Claudius Caesar. It is in history we know that he expelled the Jews. They were different. He didn't like them. They brought a different culture. They brought a different religion. And so he scattered them. He dispersed them. And now here they are making a living on their own, scattered here, scattered there, far from home, disoriented from everything they've ever had or known. And they're living a Christian life that is, they're ostracized, they're treated with hostility, they're different. They're a different kind of people. That's the context of 1 Peter. He's speaking to these people who are strangers living in a strange land. So who dispersed them? Who scattered them? Well, in a very earthly sense, Claudius did. 
But as we get into 1 Peter, you're going to see he speaks of the sovereignty of God. That nothing happens to God's people apart from His sovereign control. And what we read in Acts chapter 18 was what? How the gospel went to the Gentiles because God's people were spread. They were sprinkled like salt everywhere. And so we see that, yeah, Claudius, humanly speaking, dispersed these believers. But God in His sovereignty was at work. Hashtag God is at work, right? This is the Lord doing something. And He says you are elect exiles. Don't think that you're where you are by accident. Don't think that you're there because of Claudius. You are God's elect exiles. God has a purpose for you as strangers living in a strange land. It's okay to not feel that you're at home because God is at work. Now, I want to sit here for a minute and talk about this because I really believe pastorally this is an issue for all of us, particularly particularly you who are parents and grandparents. And what I mean is we live in a culture and at a time where it is not uncommon for us to want to declare home, this is where we are, and this is where our people are going to live, and our children are going to come back and live here, and our grandchildren are going to come back and live here, and we're just going to own some property, and we're going to make do, and we're going to be really happy because this is our home. And I want to tell you, I think that way. My parents think that way, thought that way. And I think you do too. But what Peter is saying here is going to challenge that. Mom, grandmom, granddad, dad. It's going to challenge that. Um, But we live in that world where we are are so blessed to, to be able to humanly do those things. As a matter of fact, it's all over country radio. Some of you who who listen to country music, uh, might recognize these lyrics by Luke Bryan. It's the song By Dirt. And I want you to listen to that mentality, okay, what I just described. This is uh, the advice coming from an 80-year-old, a grandfather, to a grandson, okay? This is my mentality and most of yours. Listen to what he says. The advice from the grandfather to the son is, find the one, the girl, you can't live without. Get a ring, let your knee hit the ground. Do what you love, but call it work. Throw a little money in the plate at church. Send your prayers up and your roots down deep. Add a few limbs to your family tree and watch their pencil marks and the grass in the yard all grow up. Because the truth about it is, it all goes by real quick. You can't buy happiness, but you can buy dirt. And we hear that, I hear it, and I'm like, yeah, I love that. Yeah, Abbeville County for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Children and grandchildren too, right? But what the scriptures tell us is that God's people have been homeless since Genesis chapter 3. Not identifying with home in this life, but seeking to redeem wherever we live and whatever God calls us to do. But we always have this expectation that our home is not in this place. Our home is in a place yet 
to come. And so as I say all that, I'm, I'm talking to myself and to you. We can't be like this about home in this world. We are like this with home in this world. And if, if, if the family does get to live next door, that's awesome. But keep your grip loose. This is not home. This is not home for us. If we think that it is, we will not even think heavenly as Peter is going to tell us to do. And we will become encapsulated in thinking selfishly and locally rather than how God has always, since Genesis 3, called His people to think and called His people to live. Okay, I'm sure I upset some of you. We can talk about it this week if you'd like to. Secondly, about this audience, okay, they're, they're called as exiles, strangers in a strange land, but never at home in this life. Secondly, he says they're called to be holy. They're called to be holy. Now, I'm going to go into this next week. For those of you who've got your pen and paper and you're like, okay, let's get to the elect chosen. Let's get to sanctification in the Spirit and for obedience to Christ and sprinkling with blood. Okay, we're going to get to that next week. I can't work that into to this intro. But it is all there. And he does say that they have been chosen to be exiles, chosen to be sanctified by the Spirit, which is to say, changed, made holy, to be different than the world. Now remember, I told you that, that part of the reason we believe Claudius expelled the Jews is because they were different. Their presence threatened cultural norms. They weren't getting in line. They were doing things differently. Their worship was different. Their, their laws that they submitted to were different. These heavenly laws, they just didn't fit. And so Claudius's reaction was, get them out of here. Spread them out. We don't want them here. Let them go affect some other place, but not in Rome. We're called to be holy as well. We're called to be different in the same way, but not weird. We're called to be holy, not weird. And there's a lot of weirdness in the Christian church. And that's, that's not holiness. We're to be set apart by our worship, by our submission to God, our submission to His authority, our living, valuing the things He's told us to value, like families and marriage and worship and honoring the Lord in everything we do. And that makes us different in this world. It makes us march to the beat of a different drum. But we're not called to be weird. Now, you're going to want to say, we'll distinguish what weirdness looks like versus what holiness looks like. I'm not going to do that here and now, but I would have that conversation with you. I've seen a lot of weirdness in the Christian church in my 30 years of being in ministry. A lot of weird, hokey stuff. But that's not what God's calling us to be. He's calling us to be holy, to be like Himself in the world, to honor Him and live according to His principles and His standards. And for that, the world will despise us. And they are despising us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 Peter is going to talk about holiness repeatedly, but one passage is here. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners, strangers, and exiles to abstain from sinful desires 
which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. There's a, there's a tangible example of, of why they were seen as different. They abstain from sinful sexual desires. And that made them different than the world in which they lived. They were seeking to honor their holy Lord and to live accordingly to Him. To be holy, but not to be weird. And then lastly, these folks, Peter says, are called to suffer well. That because of their faith in Jesus, because of their seeking to live a holy life, they're going to suffer for it. There will be hostility. They will be ostracized. They will be persecuted. There will be hardships. But he wants them to know that in that suffering, you're not alone and don't feel that you're unloved. Don't feel that you're unloved by God. Don't feel that you're abandoned by God. He'll say in chapter 4, of his letter. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and the glory of God rests upon you. So Peter says, look, don't be surprised when suffering comes for being a worshiper of Jesus, for being a disciple of Jesus. Don't be surprised. Just as he suffered, so his people will have to suffer. And he says, know that the Spirit is with you. You are not alone in this. You're not left to your own strength, but the Lord himself is with you. So they're called to be exiles. They're called to be holy. And they're called to suffer well knowing that they're not alone and they're not unloved, though there may be moments that they feel that they are. And then thirdly and lastly for this morning, what's the purpose of Peter's letter? What's, what's the big idea of this letter? Well, in a word, it's encouragement. He wants to encourage those who feel like strangers in a strange land, those who maybe could grow weary in doing good, those who could perhaps quit or drift from the faith. And so he wants to encourage them with what we'll call gospel hope. He's not just writing an empty letter with a generic hope. He's encouraging them with the promises of the gospel. The promises that the Lord loves them, the Lord forgives them, and the Lord has a special place that they can call home. Because home is not in this life. Home is elsewhere. It's like the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 14, which was our reflection this morning. For we do not have an enduring city here, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Do you see? That's that mentality of where our home is. We have a place to call home. That deep longing and desire that most everyone has it will be fulfilled. It's just not in this life, so says Peter. 
So he wants to encourage them with an enduring hope, with a gospel hope. And he wants to encourage them as an ordinary guy, as a man with flaws and with failures. Now this is, this is what I told you I was going to finish with about the person of Peter. And this for me is, is just strangely encouraging. That when you consider what Peter is going to say to us in the weeks ahead and who he is, uh, one author put it this way. This is Peter the man and why he's such an ordinary guy that can encourage us. Peter is the figure in New Testament history that ordinary believers like us find so accessible, so relatable to our own Christian experience. In Scripture, we get a full description of Peter, warts and all. Peter is often seen asserting himself to the front of the disciples. He often speaks first even when he should have had the sense to keep his mouth shut. He gets into trouble time and again with his careless and unstudied words as when he blurted out his opinion on the mountain at the transfiguration. Another time, after the Lord had spoken about the difficulty of salvation, saying it is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Peter had the audacity to blurt out, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Or in other words, we've made this big sacrifice. What's in it for us? And now each of us might think that we thought such a thing as well. But you and I are probably more tempered and don't blurt out such thoughts as Peter did. And then we see Peter in his terrible fall. First boldly and proudly proclaiming before the entire room the night of the Last Supper that he had an invincible loyalty to the Lord Jesus. Only a day later, the same night, he would deny the Lord publicly three times for fear of an uncertain danger he might face were he he to be identified as Christ's disciple. But it gets even worse for this Peter, if that is even possible. Though he had witnessed the resurrection and Pentecost, and though he had been delivered from prison by an angel, Peter would still cower at the fear of man and what others might think of him. Later in Antioch, he would throw the progress of the gospel into terrible jeopardy by failing to stand up for the freedom of the Gentiles, which God himself had explicitly taught Peter and which Peter himself had earlier taught to the rest of the church. But the mere possible criticism of one party of Christians had him cowed. It had him defeated. And in all of those examples, how much like Peter... Are we? How much like Peter is every one of us? We know what it is to be loud, to speak up, to speak first, to be assertive in situations, only to eat our words and regret that we acted the way we did or said the things that we said. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought, and we can often be embarrassed by the blunders that we make. 
Peter was ordinary in this way. He's a man that you and I can resonate with. He's a man who was ordinary. He was no great scholar. He was a fisherman. A fisherman by trade. And in this way, Peter really was an ordinary Joe. He says what he says succinctly to the point, And we get him. We understand him. And the same author said this. And I'll close with this. He says, And when God asked His beloved Son, To whom shall we give the honor and the task of proving that the most ordinary folk can bring life to the world and prove that the power of God is at work among men? The Lord Christ replied, perhaps with a smile, will give that job to the impulsive fisherman. He is my man to do that. So this morning, if you can resonate with Peter, all of his flaws, all of his failures, and yet he is an instrument in the hands of God to offer a letter to the church that instructs us even to this day. Well, then be encouraged because God is at work. God uses ordinary people for his ultimate purposes. And the great encouragement of Peter is to teach us to look forward, to not look at the present circumstances, but to be a people who always lean forward and look forward by faith. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And so there's the summary of some of what Peter says. We are a people who look forward, we lean forward by faith, and our present circumstances never define us. God's promises always define us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, that we would be a people who look forward and lean forward in faith. And for any this morning whose present circumstances seem daunting to them, they seem to defeat them, Lord, would you encourage them that this world is not our home. It's about a place that you have gone to prepare for us. And so, Lord, help us to cast our wishful eye where our possessions are truly lie. And we ask this and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.